Welcome everyone. The Nell Street Art Center is situated on indigenous lands currently stewarded by Ninilchik village tribe. Lands that have been cared for by thousands of years since time immemorial by first people of this region. Danaina, Sukpiak, Yupik, and the Ketchumak peoples before them. Chinan, Chiknik, Kayana, thank you. Pinnell Street Art Center is committed to resisting colonialism by partnering with indigenous artists and supporting indigenous led practices. Hi, I'm Asia Freeman, artistic director of Pinnell and I'm pleased to welcome you to Inspiration and Adaptation, a weekly dialogue with artists about how we're weathering the pandemic, planetary stress, climate change, economic recession, the re rising social justice movement, and the central theme really is what creative strategies do artists offer for maneuvering challenging times? Today I'm speaking with the artists of Fragile Domestic, an exhibit featuring five Alaska women artists on view this month at Pinnell. Amy Meisner, Sonia Kelleher Combs, Karen Lowell, Hollis Mickey, and Susan Joy Sher. Welcome. And I'd like to thank you all for this opportunity to share this truly remarkable exhibit today. So I'll ask questions of each of you and then invite anyone else to contribute to, you know, a response to that question as well. So by way of introduction, may I ask Amy, Amy Meisner, who seems to be the visionary ringleader of this show, to provide an introduction to the premise and the inspiration that brought you all together. I'd like to know how you figured out who to ask to join the exhibit and how this group connects and develops how the, how the group really connected um, practically and conceptually during the pandemic. And also maybe how um, does the fact that you're Alaska-based contribute to the exhibit in any particular way? And that's a big question. So we can go back through it and starting with the premise, mm, well, um, well, maybe an introduction to what brings you all together for this show. Certainly, thank you so much, Asia. Um, I think I'm still, um, really relishing the time that we were all able to spend together um, installing this show last weekend. Um, it's been it's been great moving into this week, still having those good vibes. Um, I was actually anticipating this question and <laughs> was trying to remember this morning, um, short of going back and looking through emails from two years ago now, which, which is I think when I, more than two years ago when I approached this group of ladies um, about doing something together. Um, but what, what was happening around that time for me um, was I had a solo show at the Anchorage Museum that was wrapped up and wrapping up. And I knew that um, I wanted to get something rolling for the future. And I also really realized when I did that show how much how much I learned from doing it and what a privilege it was, but also how much I still needed to learn. And it gave me some time to think about um, who I wanted to learn from. And I also knew that if I was going to do a thing at some point in the future, I wasn't ready to do that thing alone. And um, I wanted an opportunity to feel supported, but also be in a position of supporting other women. Um, and I also have um, deep respect for 
for materials and um, from materials of craft in particular and work of the hand. And I knew that these women did as well. And, and it felt, felt like a good way to bring us all together and learn from one another. But certainly the first impulse on my part was really selfish. <laughs> I wanted to learn from them and be with them. So that, that answers, I think, perhaps that first question, Asia. Thank you, Amy. Is there anyone else who feels like there's something they want to contribute about what brought you all together? Sure, I'll jump in. Um, so I guess just coming from, um, I apologize if my dogs bark, I'm just warning you right now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I should lock them out, I can't, sorry. Um, anyhow, I, I guess what I really um, wanna say is how much I admire all these artists. And I think um, I'm very thankful that Amy brought us together to do this work and um, and this exhibition, but also this idea of um, how, you know, uh, culturally in my background, a lot of times the way that you learn is by just, you know, spending time with people. And so that, that's something that um, even though we physically weren't able to do as much of that as we really wanted to, I think, um, you know, just psychologically having that group, that group of people that were kind of netted together, um, I think was really, really um really, really important for me in this pandemic. Mm. You know, and I appreciate that so much. I, I was, um, I've been marveling on the power of having a, a, a project like this to focus on during these times. I, I wanted to ask you, Sonia, you know, the exhibit title Fragile Domestic, which I'm sure that was a co-creation, but maybe you could start us out by responding to this. <clears throat> the implication is one of, of femininity or in that title to me of women's work in a historic and gendered sense. But looking at the show, I really connect with the opposite, a kind of ferocity or a resistance to containment and vulnerability. And I was wondering if you could discuss your work and maybe others as well. Um, in terms of this exhibit as a lens through which to challenge at the traditional condition of women. Yeah, I think the original impetus, we were really thinking kind of more like interior spaces and ideas about, um, you know, what happens inside a house and a lot of the imagery within the show by chance, by just by coincidence and also just by nature of being this women working, I feel, um, there were a lot of parallels and um, overlap, um, but I, I guess the way that I think about this idea of domestic and, and fragility is like everything is meant to eventually break down and, and return to the earth and to nature. And um, so a lot of the work that I do is about this idea of this um, juxtaposition of natural materials and synthetic materials. So I wanted to kind of um, continue in that vein. And so some of the pieces in there, in particular, the rope piece, Tether, kind of discusses that idea of something that as simple as human hair binded and sewn, stitched onto a rope that's will outlast all of us, you know. Um, and even working on that, um, like physically working on it, Everybody knows I wear black. Well, I'd have all of these little um, 
I can't remember what those microplastics are called, but nargils or yeah, whatever they're called, some weird name. Um, I would be covered in them from just holding that rope and working with it, you know, touching my body, you know, as it slowly, as it's breaking down, but it's still, you know, but um, I guess um, I don't think that, you know, the work is only about this interior space because everything we touch um, goes outside of our home. So I wanted to kind of um, talk about that. And my work ended up being a lot about living with living in a time of um, separation from family and friends and, you know, collecting. And the whole summer I was collecting objects to, um, to become these new artifacts. So I don't want to keep belaguer, but we could have other people respond to it as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, anybody else who's, you know, in the show, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the ways in which you might have been resisting um, or really actually how you, how you relate to the title and, 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 and how your work maybe expands or challenges that. Yes, I can speak a little bit to it. Um, so I think one of the ways in which um, I'm interested in domestic spaces uh, is thinking about how we shape them and they shape us and um, the kind of relationships that we have with objects in our home um, and in these interior spaces. So, you know, for example, by having a chair, it gives us um, the ability to do a lot by being able to sit. We can, you know, I'm able to work from home right now um, and uh, I have the capacity to, you know, do tabletop handwork. Um, but the chair also shapes my body. We, anyone who's sat in a chair for a long time knows that too, right? And so thinking about these kinds of relationships that we have with objects in our lives um, and how we we can shape those, how we can make those objects, how we can shape and be the agents to create the objects that then in turn remake us is something that I'm really interested in. Um, and I think is kind of undergirding both the imagery and the impetus for the, the piece that I contributed to the show. Um, and it's a, a set of ideas I think I've been thinking about for quite a while in my work. And so it was interesting to come together with these different perspectives of domesticity and home spaces and um, interior spaces with this group um, and, and kind of be able to be in conversation with different perspectives on what those words might mean. Thank you, Holland. Does anybody else in the the um, in the show have a response to that? I do. I'm, I'm hoping you can hear me, Asia. Am I connected? Yeah. Hey, Karen. Yes, Hi. you are. Great, Great to see you. <laughs> I'm on my lunch break, so. Yay. Um, right. So I was gonna just say that um, I've had a. I've I moved to Colorado and I counted up the number of times I've moved in my lifetime and it's been 40 and this last particular move ha has been really disruptive and kind of cleansing at the same time when I moved I got rid of most of my possessions and moved into a very small little apartment that's new and clean and beautifully designed um, my studio space ended up being the kitchen and the bedroom of course always but then my also my my reflections have been a lot about, you know, being, being a nomad and now being very close to my aging parents, 
who have an incredibly beautiful domestic space, but they are incredibly fragile as people. And so I've been thinking a lot about that, about how people live in time and then live through time and get close to the end of their time. And it's, it's affected me a lot. And that little tent that I ended up making was, I see as sort of like a little capsule of home inside of a home or outside of a home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's so good to see you, Karen. I'm really glad that you were able to connect with us. And, um, and Amy, um, if you're just prepared at any point when people are referencing their work, you're welcome to share it through screen share. What about you, Susan? What's your response to the, um, the title and how you understand it in terms of your work? Oh, um, that a lot of it was about emotional um, instability or st- stability within the family and how we uh, deal with that in our work and in our daily lives. Um, how we interpret things we've learned, whether we reject them or accept them when we're young and how we bring them into our lives as we mature. Um, I think it's also for me about the relationship of inside, but also outside and meshing those two things together. Um, I'm a collector of different types of materials. I'm always preserving um, various objects as a career in um, book conservation, as well as collecting things at home. So um, I reuse materials and uh, create different combinations and think about the um, kind of open and closed and the act of revealing in the way that someone can look at work or especially in the book form, which I've been involved in, where you can hide and reveal information. Fantastic. It's so good to see you today, Susan. Really appreciate that Thanks, that Pat. response. Yeah, absolutely. Amy, let's come back to you. Um, yeah, and I will I will share my screen here in a, a minute. Um, I guess it would be good. Had it on this whole time. Um, but for me, um, what that title um, has always been. Um, in particular is about materials and the materials that I choose to work with, which are domestic materials. And they're um, made by women who are unknown to me. Um, household linens and abandoned embroideries, abandoned quilt tops. You know, these are all things that um, as soon as they're made, I, you know, the clock starts ticking in terms of longevity and um, I appreciate so much what Sonia said um, about how how things will outlive us. Um, you know, some of the materials that I'm um, constantly engaged in in using, some of them are a hundred years old, and um, to put them together with with other materials that are are younger or even older is um, is really interesting to me because they do have a way of, of supporting one another and extending the lives of these things, um, not just as they were as a tablecloth or as a napkin or even as a doily or something, but to, to bring them to, together and create something that is completely different that will then move into the future. I think it's 
so compelling to think about um, the ongoingness of things and materials and um, the different lives that they lead and the different lives that they end up inspiring or touching in some way. Um, but oftentimes I think it's that that reconfiguring um, of materials and, and putting unlikely materials or even concepts together that allow them to have that that next life and that next movement into the future. Um, I also think a lot about the perception of value and the perception of women's work in particular and, and work of the home. It's, um, it's not work, you know, the, the male masculine work is done outside the home, but the feminine work is done inside the home. And so there's a, um, there's a marginalized aspect to it that isn't out in the center of the world, but within the home, it's the center of the home. And so it's not in the margins in the home, it's in the center. And so I think about that a lot. Um, you know, how do you, how do you bring more value to that kind of work that's often um, invisible, especially with regards to maintenance and repair? Um, these are things that, and, and, and cleaning and, and caring for these domestic spaces and caring for, um, in my case, caring for children. Um, you know, these are things that are ongoing, but not heralded um, as important in the world of um, commodities and that sort of thing. Um, and yet it's, it's what provides us with a world that we can even live in, that kind of care and tending. So I think about that a lot. Um, and I'm also thinking about the fragility of time and particularly during this time. Um, and in particular with motherhood, you know, how quickly it's fleeting. You know, we just took out the, the Halloween box last night and started taking little things out of it. My daughter really wanted to decorate. And I found this envelope of all of these little um, drawings of pumpkins and things that my son had done in 2010 when he was four years old. And um, that's only 10 years ago and he's changed so much. And here are these sweet little things. Um, so I feel like as a, as a mother and as a keeper of objects, um, we're continually coming up against the passage of time and how quickly it's galloping along. So, um, so that's also a part of it for me as well. Thank you, Amy. Do others, um, who are exhibiting in this show wish to add any additional thoughts or um, comments in response to what um, Amy's contributed. And real quick, I'm going to share my screen here. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to quickly just say, I think that um, in this time of COVID that people are, are much more um, respectful and um, appreciative of, of this kind of work that Amy's talking about in the home. You know, so I, I I think that's one probably good thing that's happened is that um, it's kind of brought us back to this place that I feel like the way I grew up, <clears throat> my mom was never undervalued, you know, so my dad was always like, oh, thank God for Trudy, you know, so, um, but, uh, and when she was gone, oh my goodness, you, you knew she was gone because she does everything, you know, so. But um, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Yeah. The question, um, 
Oh, go ahead, Susan. Yeah. Well, I, I agree that I think we've all had a heightened awareness of home and what we are doing in our home, what's in our home, what we value in our home as far as our relationships and the objects in them. And that we've all just been more focused on that since February and March, so. Mm -hmm. A question I have for each of you, and I'm gonna start this one with Hollis. So maybe Amy, you could scroll through to Hollis's work. Um, sure. in, in describing your contribution to this show, what would each of you say, starting with Hollis, what does your media allow you to express visually that really can't be said as eloquently in words? What is it about the labor of creating and the ambiguity of your chosen form? that offers a critical resistance to um, simplifying and, or traditional ideas of, of female experience, fragility, and domesticity? Sure. Um, so that's a, a great question. I think that, uh, you know, why, why express with a needle and thread rather than words? Uh, and I think that, and I talked about this a little bit in the workshop um, and in the artist talk uh, on the opening, this idea of, of labor and time, I think is very important to my work that, that sewing is a, at once a performance um, and, and also a marking um, and that each stitch is indicative of the time and the work um, of its making. And in my work, which involves many, many stitches, um, one has evidence of the labor and the performance of the, of the maker. And I think that what my, these pieces, as you um, suggested, Asia, I think there's a lot of ambiguity and an open-endedness in all of my work. And I, I, I do that, I think maybe from my background as a teacher um, and as a, and my pedagogy is really based in um, wanting experience and learning to be learner driven. So rather than being didactic um, to say, this is the answer, um, this is what this is about, to leave space for the viewer to make their own interpretations of what they see. And so this is a quite literal experience of that um, with this deck of cards that um, have some suggested meanings, which are also quite open-ended um, so that if one was to deal the cards and I've made um, physical copies of them as well. So I have a little deck um, that you no know, one can shuffle and pull um, a card and these soft cards provide sort of gentle space for interpretation in their fabric form. Um, so, you know, I think just to kind of go back, uh, I think it's a lot about the labor and the performance that, that I feel textiles offer, but also the softness that is there, which is part of the ambiguity um, and part of the open-endedness that these objects proffer. Yeah, thank you, Hollis. What do you think about that, Karen? Um, in in particular, what is it that the COVID tent could say, the COVID nomad tent could say um, visually that would be 
really immense in words, but I'll ask you to try. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just a beautiful question. Um, I think my whole goal as an artist is to try to find the materials that speak the, the best and most true about the thing you want to say. Um, it's interesting because I this tent came out of collecting stories from my kids and my parents and even friends during this COVID time. And I do think there is the component about uh, storytelling um, as spoken memory. And uh, I would love at some point to be able to record those stories in words, but this tent uh, isn't specific. And it feels, it still feels a lot to me like a, th a thing that's familiar, tents, you know, camping and tents are familiar objects, but it, especially in this gallery setting and with the shift in materials and using the, using the scraps from the masks that I've been making and the scraps from, you know, my, my grandmother's stash and my sister's wedding dress, those materials speak in and of themselves. And then to combine them in this sort of rough way. I'm not a, so I'm not a hand sewer. I realized early in uh, working on this show that I didn't really even want to draw, but working with the sewing machine, which is kind of industrial, kind of sweatshoppy. Um, and I, I really did allow the, the seams to be kind of irregular and uneven. I think that's an authentic way for me to talk about things. Um, and it also feels to me with all of the work in this show that not only do the materials speak, but the process in which those materials are manipulated and uh, cared for and tended speak also really loudly, so. Thank you so much. It's a really extraordinary piece. And there's this map inside that um, has this sort of remarkable geography what what were you able to say with this map in particular about how you understand space and distance and so when I was working on the tent it was kind of a slog like I knew I had I had markers I had to to get through to be able to make the tent and it was pattern making and then fitting the pieces and doing some custom stitching blah 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 but the map was the most fun and it was partly because I didn't know what the geography was going to be like I, I stumbled on this collection of National Geographic maps and I knew that I wanted to collect at least the information about places I had visited. And in collaging all these maps together, I realized that there was a distortion that happened in terms of scale and, and uh, terrain. And I was really happy to see the kind of dreamlike uh, artificial but true um, topography that emerged from there and I'm really looking forward to going back in there I was I, my intention is to keep going with this project and um, do some more work around individual sites and individual trips and um, sort of the, the trans navigation of this nutty landscape mm. thank you so much Karen what do you think um, Susan in response to that question as far as um, what uh, materials and process you're able to communicate that is just really perhaps impossible to say in words, but if we could try. I think you need to unmute, there yeah. you go. Okay. Uh, well, we're looking at this piece that is an embroidery that I did when I was in my twenties and 
it's amazing to me that I would pick a shirt that was such a mundane shirt and spend a tremendous amount of time just kind of meandering and wandering through it to create this embroidery. And um, it's a meditative process and something that lets my mind kind of flow and uh, a shirt that gets worn and worn out and then preserved almost like a trophy. Um, so very detailed and uh, interesting to me, the way the lines that I created intersect with the lines of, of the sewing of the shirt. So um, I work in uh, so many different materials, everything, paper, fabric, threads, and plastics. I've always been interested in plastics. Um, this is another piece that is out of a, a tangled roll of suture thread. And just trying to untangle it, uh, preserve those materials and create something with them when out of frustration, I can no longer um, sort and organize it the way I want to. I'm an organizer and a sorter and I have a kind of compulsion to fix things and get things to look good. Or I, Amy has talked about the idea of perfection and you know trying to be perfect and all the degrees that we either attempt that or achieve that or fail at that and the advantage and disadvantage of creating something that's imperfect. Um, let's see, so that's a detail. This is just almost an entire spool of suture thread that was tangled and manipulated. So that's a really interesting way to look at your work through the lens of that compulsion to organize and improve, you know, like these, these scraps and findings and um, little messes in a way um, that the work is kind of this long record of a really deep um, sort of careful process of making beautiful these sort of um, artifacts of your own history and gathering. Seems like a strong through thread, as strange as that, <laughs> as idiosyncratic yeah. as that is. Uh, I love so many different materials and, um, you know, keep a lot of my scraps. And so these no sitting pieces are kind of an opening of a box and, you know, um, letting them flow and uh, a lot of gluing and layering and so, and stitching, gluing, painting, and layering and overlayering. And um, these no <coughs> relate to <coughs> women, having, <coughs> women having a seat at the table, whether it's in the home or in a political setting or um, in daily life, just really having a voice. And it's something I experienced quite strongly as a child and being the only girl in a family of five children and um, how my role was determined um, as opposed to my brothers. Let's um, go to the next one, Amy, if you would, please. Oh, yeah, this is just another no sitting piece. I wanted to also say about the whole time of COVID and the way that, that started, I think it redirected me in where I wanted to go with my work. And, and 
there were many things that I didn't really want to continue once that started. And I just couldn't bring a closure to some pieces and stopped working on them. So this last sitting piece has a lot less detail than the earlier no sitting piece. Thanks. And I just want to ask everyone to please mute their mics if they're not speaking even or featured yes, because some of us are <laughs> at home with background environment noise. Thank you. Um, I'd like to um, go to, to Sonia and ask if we could look at um, the one of the first pieces in this um, presentation and ask you to talk a bit about what this process, these materials, enabled you to say that are just really hard to put into words and why it's so important to use these particular materials. Um, first of all, anybody who knows me knows that I've, um, like I'm, I spend hours and hours and hours trying to just even write the simplest statement or even just even like public speaking is my very, least favorite thing to do. Um, but uh, there's something that happens when you spend time with um, materials and um, and do this quiet, you know, kind of meditative work that um, we've been talking about. I think all of us are, as a matter of fact, everybody's, I, I have notes here. Everybody has said exactly what I want to say, talking about materials and time spent and, um, even things as simple as collecting and found objects and, um, you know, holding on to these things that are, are special, but you're not sure why. And that's what, you know, that's how I grew up. It sounds like that's pretty much how most of us did because you never threw anything away because it might be something that you need at a later date. And um, so this series of drawings um, from, a, from a series called From the Body are um, basically the day after our first case of COVID, I started collecting my hair every time I took a shower. And so then they became these hair portraits and there's a 100 of them included in um, the exhibition. Um, I My husband's laughing at me um, nowadays because I'm a person who likes to take a shower every day. <laughs> but since COVID has happened, I don't take a shower as often. So I don't have 200 and six, I think is the, maybe more than that. Actually, I think we're at 208 or 209 days since the first case was um, reported here in Alaska. But um, so it's this idea of collecting things and um, things that everybody, everybody has, you know, can relate to this idea of finding hair in the shower and picking up hair and just all these things that maybe aren't really Nobody really thinks about them. Uh, they don't ever think it's gonna be a piece of art um, or um, the meaning behind them. Usually it's just something that's discarded. And that's something I'm really interested in is, is kind of um, repurposing, which is everybody's referenced here, like the scraps um, that Karen used to make um, her, uh, her tent and um, and I loved how the, before she spoke about how she was making masks for South Central Foundation and those were just the leftover scraps. She made over 300 of them. It's really beautiful. And, um, and how she kept those scraps because you just don't know, you might need them, somebody might need them. 
um, the same way that my parents taught us never to throw anything away because, you know, somebody's going to need it someday. And, and in many cases, a lot of times those, you know, those things get repurposed. So in the foreground here is a piece, um, it's closed secrets or sealed secrets. Everybody knows I do these. And someone was talking about secrets earlier, which I was really like, <laughs> yay. But um, it's a series that's ongoing. It's about the things that happen within a home and outside a home about historical trauma, generational trauma, things like that. Um, those are things I'm thinking about um, with regard to um, a bigger, larger bodies of work, but also this idea of the fragile domestic and how um, our women keep everything together and keep us strong. And um, my mom, especially. So we can move on to the next one. Thanks Amy for taking care of all this. Here's a close-up of those pieces. And this is from, this is very new work. I, you know, this idea of something that's discarded, this was a found rope, which would be used to um, tether a boat. Um, and uh, again, the hair that I've been collecting and uh, tethering that to stitching it to this tether and how a lot of us have different relationships to our hair. You know, some people, it's, it used to, I remember when I was a young girl, it was really important. I remember a boy teasing me because my mom had cut my hair for the summer and he used to call me, I looked like a boy. <laughs> you know, all the things that we have, this kind of connection to hair um, and my friends who've lost their hair to cancer treatments, things like that. So um, value, giving it value, but also giving it this history is something I'm interested in. But um, yeah, so. Thank you, thank you. Sure. Yeah. Amy, let's go back to you, to, to your work and, um, you know, give you a chance to respond to that, that question of um, what is it in this particular form with these materials that you're able to explain express that necessitate this form as opposed to all others including even what you could write or speak mm. yeah i think for me um textiles just so reference the body and um you know I, i'm looking at the work of everyone else's in this um exhibition and it's so apparent um you know, the Hollis's tarot cards reference, reference the hand. Um, Sonia's work is also referencing the hand. You could hold any one of these things. And, and I did <laughs> in my hands. Um, Susan's work um, has the same reference. Um, she has a piece um, that is a, a dish towel. And, you know, we went kind of around and around about how to even install this this piece, which is really remarkable. And in the end, we installed it like at hip height because what it is is a towel that references these um, ubiquitous towels that are in our homes, you know, that you reach for at a certain height. And in the end, that was the height that we installed this piece at. And it just, um, it made so much more sense um, in that space to, to reference the body in that way. Um, and of course, the Karen's tent 
absolutely references the body. Um, I don't think anybody who looks at that tent doesn't imagine crawling inside of it and inhabiting it. Um, and so I work in primarily in the quilt form and I work modularly. So when I know that um, I'm going to be traveling or um, someone many years ago gave me permission to think about how I work in terms of rhythm um, and the specifically the rhythm of the year, which makes so much sense living here. Um, I'm not in my studio as much in the summertime. So the work that I do in the summer or the work that I'm doing when I'm traveling is handwork. And this piece was put together, all of those letters are hand stitched on. So they're made out of wool and they're hand turned, hand appliqued, every single one of them. Um, and I took these little bits with me. They fit in a really small pouch that was probably no bigger than five by eight inches. Um, and I took them with me on a trip two years ago to Iceland and Sweden. And um, we spent a little bit of time in London as well. And it was just my husband and I. Um, so not only was I away from my children um, for the first time maybe ever for that long, um, but also thinking about motherhood and, and also what it meant to be a partner. Um, and then working on these things um, on trains and airplanes um, so that when I came home, I could put them together into a much larger format. And I work on the wall. Um, and so I can pin into these walls that I have um, in my studio. And so this piece, which is made from the backsides of this very vast collection of embroidery that I have, um, embroideries, very few of these embroideries are anything that's left over from my family. So these are embroideries that were made mostly from kits um, by women who are strangers to me. And I think you can tell a lot about the, the maker and the hand of the maker and also the history of the maker and how that maker has been taught by looking at the backside. Um, I've been with my family, many, many times, women in Sweden, um, watching them pick up a textile and immediately flipping it over to look at the back to see how it, how well it was made or how well it was embroidered with the idea being that the back should look just as nice as the front. And for anyone who embroiders, um, you know how difficult that can be and how time consuming um, that kind of intention is. And so um, I just found th this collection of embroideries that I had so compelling, the backsides. This is the side that nobody is meant to see. It's the, it's the messy underbelly that nobody is meant to see. And I think that um, with regards to women in particular, um, for sure, but also motherhood, um, there's a lot of um, strangeness that happens um, with motherhood and um, a lot of changes that happen or things that you think that you will never ever do um, as a mother or as a parent, you find yourself doing um, things that you have judged other parents or other mothers for doing um, always without fail, come right back around um, 
to hit you in the face and um, hold that mirror up and you have to come to terms with the fact that um, you're behaving in exactly the same way. Um, there is also this um, um, woman against woman conflict that um, isn't really talked about so much other than in these kind of diminishing ways, like um, the mommy wars, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, for my mother in particular, she grew up in a home run by her grandmother. Um, there were still aunts who were living at home and her mother, her own mother would kind of come and go. And there was a lot of aggression in that house. And um, this was where she grew up in Sweden. And that was something that she knew she didn't want in her own home. Um, I have three sisters. And so it was always really hard for my mother when there was bickering that happened. She was always trying to um, create this peaceful domestic environment that she did not have um, the privilege of growing up in. So whenever we would bicker or disagree, it was really hard for her. And so there was this constant soothing, which was this immense amount of labor on her part, you know, in retrospect, when I think about it now. Um, so this piece is doing a lot of work, but, um, you know, these are all of the, it takes so long to do this kind of, of handwork, even though the, the squares are all pieced by machine, the, um, the applique is all done by hand and it is also hand quilted. And so there's a lot of time to think about what I really am trying to say. And sometimes the initial impulse stays the same over um, weeks and months, um, in some cases, sometimes years working on a piece on and off. Um, and other times it, it changes a lot or it goes in an enormous circle and comes right back to where I, um, I started from. So that's a lot about this one piece, Asia. I don't know if you want to, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I to a different I'd actually, question. <laughs> yeah, maybe um, let's let's actually move to another question just to kind of keep things open. And and I also invite any of our listeners to um share a question in the chat, or if you'd like to speak up, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, I want to ask a question of Karen. Um, you created this really springs from a question you asked me, but I I want to turn this back to you and ask you how you created work in a year of huge transitions. And you spoke about some of those transitions, getting married, moving out of Alaska, having your home base disrupted and all the stability that comes with having a studio space um, and a steady partner who's present um, that can disrupt a commitment to a regular creative practice. I'm just curious to know how you structured your you know, time, space, and energy, despite all this disruption to make work. And then I'd like to invite others to respond to how they structure, you know, their lives to do this, to create stability. And is it stability in your life that facilitates the work or do you create the stability to make the work happen? We'll start with Karen. Um, unmute there to Karen. Sorry, I'm outside and there's motorcycles. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. the, uh, the real impetus to create space and time to make work for this show was because of my complete admiration for the women who are involved in it. And you guys are my inspiration and, and motivators. Um, 
because I, I know everybody's life, even though we maybe present the image of having a trouble-free existence. I know everybody has big weighty struggles with things that we probably don't even talk about. Um, I think the way I structured it is I would just get through the day and then have evening hours and I would work until I couldn't stay awake anymore. <laughs> so, um, and I, I do miss, I've always missed having a studio space. I just keep thinking that that would make, that would be the center place for an activity that I'm committed to. Um, but it doesn't seem to matter. It's like, even when I don't have a space to go to, I just end up making a space somewhere in the house. It's funny how like the studio and the house for me have been linked super tightly all the way back to when I lived in Chicago, I had a little two bedroom apartment that wasn't really furnished. It was just a big space. The floor was the big shelf that I made all the work in. And that's been true, I think pretty much since. So I am really curious about the other artists involved in this show, how important it is to have that physical space and how you how you make the work making at the center of your identity so yeah thank you thanks Karen uh, Hollis would you be willing to respond to that question sure um, so I uh, wear many hats and uh, have a full-time job so for me the relationship of my studio is that it's important that it's a space in my home so that I can use short amounts of time that might be available to me in that space and um, and that it is organized and I know what's there is a really big um, part of the efficiency of being able to get into that space for me. Um, I also, you know, think that there's a kind of rhythm and ritual around uh, making for me that I try to hold hold true. Um, but of course, there are moments that disrupt that experience. And um, I think one of the beauties, and, and Amy referenced this, of, of handwork, particularly embroidery for me, is that, you know, you can sit down and do five stitches and um, then put it down again, if you have a you know, if you have a plan of kind of where you're going, or even if you don't have a plan, even if you're kind of more organically working on a, on a piece. So I think that's, um, that's part of it for me. I also work in a lot of different mediums. So if I just can't get myself in my studio to sew, sometimes playing music or writing um, can create a, or catalyze um, some space for the opposite kind of work to happen. So I really see them as a call and response. I'm often kind of thinking about the same ideas across um, all the mediums that I'm working in. And, um, you know, which is why, uh, you know, I think that for me, this piece continues to have a life and it's kind of, once it's on the wall, it, it, it lives on and I'm working on um, sound work around it now. Thank you, Hollis. What do you think, Sonia, does the work create a structure or do you create the structure in your life to support the work? <clears throat> so I'm one of these people that, my space has to be, my domestic space has to be completely, because it's the only thing I can control. I have, my house has to be clean. I have to, you know, before I can actually be really, you know, in the, in the right mindset, I think. So um, I'm always organizing and or trying to organize and, you know, contain 
control some, some, cause literally I can't control anything else. So once that's in the place, then I can do work. Um, I like to hear what Amy said about, uh, you know, I think all of us in Alaska are like this, the summertime is the time to gather and collect and do all the things that you need to do in the summertime, go fishing, hunting, berry picking, all that stuff. So it's really hard to make for me in the summertime um, to create what we would say is, you know, art. But um, but then also saying that I'm always making some, you know, small hand work too as well. So, and um, I think I have to make that space though. And this summer was the first time that I actually, I brought a lot of stuff down to our camp down to our cabin in Kasilov and um, to make a workspace because um, I knew I was going to be down there almost pretty much full time. I came back to Anchorage three times, twice to get the dogs groomed, which is a very important part of our life. That's why I'm here right now, actually, on Sunday. So, but um, yeah, so I guess I, it's a combination of things, you know, it, you have to be in the right place. Um, you know, emotionally to, or I do, to be able to, to make. And sometimes I'll work like all night. And then sometimes I, it's just not happening. And I don't know if any of you have that same thing. I have a friend I'm really jealous of. He goes, he calls it work. He goes into the studio at nine and he takes a lunch at noon and then he's, you know, out at three. I've never been able to work that way. Um, so so all those other things you got to do. Well, and that may be because women are often responsible for maintaining the uh, the house on top of things, right? So <laughs> it's complicated. I um, as we come up on the top of the hour, there's a couple more questions I I'm thinking about, or at least um, I'd like to turn to Susan and ask, you know, amazing artistic dialogues you all have. Uh, manifest in shared shows and solo shows over many years from New York to Alaska. Do you ever feel like once a show like this is mounted, you're just starting something? And if that's true, what would you describe that you've started here in this show? And how do you make that transition um, into the next you know, show or back into life again, in the sense that this current show has shaped and structured your days, especially during COVID times? So it's about what's coming up next and how, you, how you're making the transition. And I'd like you guys each to try and best, uh, respond. Um, I think um, as, as far as putting work together for this show, there was some uncertainty at certain points of whether the show was actually going to happen uh, due to the virus. And um, it, and once it solidified, it became a big motivator to complete some things that I had started. And um, this one particular piece um, used my collection of spigots from box wine and of defunct hose from our, our garden. Um, I, I think having the show really motivated use of these pieces, which I, these spigots, which I'd been collecting for several years. So my focus became more at home and I worked more out of home um, than I usually do. I'm fortunate to have a studio and um, structure my time there, but have been working more lately out of home. Um, 
upcoming as far as um, I'd like to just mention that I'm teaching a workshop through Bunnell Gallery that's on Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. Alaska time. And it's going to be learning different pop-up structures and making some um, something that relates to what is in your home. Um, I'm not sure I'm answering exactly your question, but uh, yeah, just what's coming up next after perhaps any any significant shows that you're thinking about. Um, I'm going to have some pieces in a group show at the Anchorage Museum called Extra Tough Women of the North and I think I'm going to continue on some of the things that I've started here as far as ideas. Um, I, I've been thinking oh, I just need more hoses now to create some more of those pieces and uh, look at them in different configurations and perhaps create a performance based on one of them because they can be configured in many different ways, as can the book forms, um, looking at how they move and how they fold and unfold and reveal information to the viewer. Um, I'm, I'm also currently teaching a workshop for um, people over 55 in association with the Anchorage Museum and just want to thank the Anchorage Museum and Hollis for their work in, in that teaching setting. It's just an amazing class that the museum has put together through um, Aroha Philanthropies. Thank you, Hollis. Thanks, Susan. Um, Michael Walsh has a question for any of you. He says, he's had the great fortune of meeting all of your partners and in some instances become friends with them. They're all, they all share a similar role supporting you and the creation of your art. Is there something or anything specific you can speak to on how your partner supported you during the creation of this particular show? You wanna respond, Susan, then maybe we'll flip over to um, Amy. Sure. Well, my husband, Paul Stang, has always been incredibly supportive of my work, um, giving me space, helping me move things and carry things, and just really um, supportive of my artistic career. And um, so I appreciate that very much. And it's a very important part of being able to be an artist and uh, move forward with my work. Thanks, Susan. Amy, how about you? What, what role does Brian play in really helping you to, to be such a phenomenally productive leading artist in Alaska? Oh, well, that was a really generous of you, Asia. <laughs> I don't know about that last part. But, um, you know, I have to say, um, having the privilege of working from within the home is um, also really important to me. And having a space um, that I can disappear into um, not very often right now. In fact, I haven't been down here um, for a really long time. And I was wandering around with my laptop open earlier, wondering where I was going to set up because I have a 14-year-old pawing through the rediscovered box of Legos and uh, my 12-year-old on her Zoom and Brian waiting for, you know, his myriad of phone calls. Um, and I think that um, you know, disappearing down into this space again um, has been really good for me. So Brian and I don't talk about my work a lot. You know, we don't have deep conversations about um, what I'm doing and um, what it means. Um, but by the same token, um, we don't have a lot of conversations about his um, 
the architecture that he does and, and what he's doing and what that means. And so somehow it, it works to keep our um, creative lives a little bit separate. Um, that said, um, there has been no shortage of, of support from him. I can't do any part of this without his support. Um, even if he is not literally standing by my side, you know, um, talking about the work or, or answering questions or guiding me through some sort of process. Um, he has certainly dropped everything to help install things, um, help me work through structural issues. Um, but when it comes to content of the work, um, he's really generous in the fact that he takes a giant step back and just gives me the space to work through it. Um, and I think some of it is, I don't want to say it's confusing for him because it's, it's not that. I think that it's um, sometimes might feel, um, I guess, revealing in a way that um, is my generosity towards him. Like these are things that, that I don't necessarily talk about, but there's certainly narrative structures happening um, in this work so that when I do talk about it, he has a visual component. He understands. Um, and I think for him, um, understanding it visually, even if it, that part comes later, um, is an important part to the way that we can communicate through this kind of work. Yeah, thank you, Amy. And just real quick, what's coming up for you next? Um, I too am excited about being part of um, Extra Tough at the Anchorage Museum. Um, I think that's going to be a really great show. Um, I also have a, a solo show coming up at the International Quilt Museum in Lincoln, Nebraska between February and June. Um, I'm also editing um, the museum journal Chattermarks, their third issue, which will come out um, at some point next spring is on repair culture. And so I've really been diving into um, conversations with people who are engaged in repair in the Circumpolar North, um, which has been really exciting and really nourishing for me. Um, and I am also in graduate school. So I will be finished up with that. Um, uh, this time next year, I'll be done. <laughs> so that's, that's what's coming up. Amazing. Thank you so much, Amy. Hollis, I wanted to um, invite you to respond to um, the question of what particular, you know, and distinctly important ways your partner supports you in the work that you do, and also um, a glance at what's coming up next for you creatively. Definitely. Um, well, I think this is a really, um, I, in fact, I got a little misty eyed as you were reading uh, Michael's question aloud. Um, my partner is a physician and, uh, and a musician. And so he's been treating COVID patients um, throughout this time. And so it's been a, a really powerful thing to have his emotional support that there is some left over for me. I feel very grateful um, for. He is a creative um, person himself. He um, spent, he has a BFA in photography and spent time as a professional photographer and, and 
toured Europe as a punk musician. Um, so I think a lot of the support that um, happens around my creative work is that we make together. Um, he shot all of my work. He took all the photos of my of my work. Um, and he's very exacting and has lots of good questions um, around, around details that come from that keen eye. And he and I play music together, which is a really great gift, I think, for both of us. Um, and so I think the support is, is so present in so many tangible ways um, with, my, with my work. But I think also in this time, I've just been so grateful for the way that he's supporting so many people beyond me um, in really profound ways. So, um, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a superhero. Um, and, uh, up, upcoming for me, I'm working on, um, sonifying my deck and creating an album of, um, music to go with it. Um, and I have a couple of other little publishing projects, kind of residue of different performances I'm wanting to put out as small books. Um, and I actually in the process of, of this show, I had planned and and was pretty far along on a different piece than I determined to show. And so um, I'm really in, engaged in that work and right now really actively um, moving forward and finishing that work. So I'm sure that I'll find a home for, um, for sharing that um, really large uh, piece in a different time. Mm, that's making me extremely curious. I'll have to talk to you more about that. <laughs> Sonia, um, could you speak to like really, you know, specific ways, if you will, that Sean supports your work and, you know, it really gets at what makes strong partnerships that is, are behind, you know, strong artists because you have a phenomenal, you know, international presence and that, that certainly behind every good <laughs> artist, there's got to be a great, great partner. Yeah, I, I'm so thankful every day for Sean. He's just an amazing man. And I totally got misty eyed and I could probably cry right now, but I won't. Because, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, I think we are all very fortunate to have these um, amazing partners who, um, you know, support us not just financially, but emotionally. And um, Sean is my, I don't want to say my, he is, probably my biggest um, supporter. And also he's, he's a very spot on critic. So um, he, he, he will like, I'll ask him near, near the end. And <clears throat> he's very honest and I can't pull anything over his, you know, any wool over his eyes or anything, you know, he's, he's really, and he, we've been together for so long that he really gets, you know, what I'm doing and um, right to the heart of it always. So that's really important to me. And um, as far as, you know, ways that he like supports me, it's just that he's a person that is, you know, always there, you know, even when we're apart from each other, which is a lot because a lot of his job and because of the work that I do, um, I can always count on him, you know, um, he's just a text away, I guess I should say. So, you know, I'm very thankful for that. And also a large family support as well. And um, as far as um, upcoming things, there's so many things like um, Hollis was saying, like everybody else has experienced so many projects that have been either canceled or delayed or 
postponed or, you know, whatever they, um, so there's a multitude of things that have been put online. And as I was saying earlier, I'm not very good with the computer. So I have some friends, my friend Don Vittison has been making little videos for me um, to uh, populate things like um, the project settlement, which was um, the 400th and is an, I guess an occupation um, in response to the 400th anniversary of the um, sailing of the Mayflower that was supposed to happen this summer, 26 Native American artists in Plymouth, England. It's Chinupa Hanska Luger's project. It's going live on October 13th, I think. Um, so we have a little videos for that. And then um, another video for uh, something called Sami Salasta, which was a residency I did last year in Sweden. And we were supposed to do it again this year, at the um, beginning of the summer. And um, had to do a video for that as well, because it's, um, it's all virtual now. And I just sent a flag for a show in Nuuk, Greenland. I don't know if it's arrived yet, but, um, and I'm happy to say that the Whitney Museum just acquired a piece of mine. It's just actually made it to the Whitney last, last week. So lots of things going on, it's busy. Yeah. Well, I wanna thank you all so much. Amy, if you could pop us out of screen sharing just so we could um, be all in the room together for just a, a moment. Um, I want to thank people across Alaska for, for tuning in and supporting this dialogue and, and even our, our partners at Huesca Museums in Sweden. We just really enjoy staying connected right now. I think that's um, one of the strongest things that, that we can do is to share. So wishing you all well and looking forward to reconnecting next week. I'll be speaking with Lily Hope a Chilkat Weaver who will be talking about her work and an upcoming workshop on weaving Chilkat protector masks sponsored by the Siri Foundation Journey to What Matters. Thank you all and have a great weekend. Thank you, Asia. Thank you, Asia. Bye.